Well, good morning. It is good to be with you, and we're so grateful to have visitors, and we've got several among us, and thank you for coming our way and spending this fellowship with us in worshiping God. And we are blessed to have you, and we pray that our time together with you has, will be a blessing as well. So thank you. And if you have some time just to linger just a little bit you know, and allow some of us to, to greet you and, and, and just get to know you a little better, please do so if you're not pressed you know, for time. Grace. Such a beautiful word, but also an extremely powerful concept. Its origin is not with us. We are not the originators. Humanity is not the originators, the author of grace. It originates with God. It has its very root and life in our creator and our redeemer. There is grace because God is. There is grace because God is. Every person is in need of God's grace. Every soul that has ever existed and will exist is in need of God's grace. No exceptions at all. Our creator's grace is manifested to us in almost limitless ways. You know, he bestows grace upon us in just an innumerable ways in our life. Mankind is a beneficiary of God's grace, of grace even when, even when man fails to acknowledge it. There is grace in this world. And you think about that idea of the grace that is found throughout life, throughout this creation. His grace is intricately intertwined throughout all of God's dealings with mankind throughout the history of humanity. For example, such as consider God's light and God's goodness, which is poured out upon all men and distributed upon them, whether they are believers or not. There's an aspect of God's grace wherein all mankind are beneficiaries of that favor. And it may be that you too may be receiving a measure, some aspect of God's grace, even in your life at times in ways that you do not even recognize it at the moment. Grace is a powerful, powerful concept that has its source and its life and its essence in God and in God's dealing with mankind. And without grace, there is no salvation of the soul. There is no salvation of the soul without 
grace and without God's grace. And Ephesians 2 verse 8 is just one example that brings that out so clearly. When it says, for by grace, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So without grace, without God's grace, there would be no such, a, no such thing as salvation. And so a sinner's faith, your faith, my faith, and anybody's faith alone cannot save himself without the richness of God's grace. You and I cannot be saved by faith alone. There has to be grace doing its part in redeeming our souls and bringing us out of the darkness into the light. But also an individual's choices and an individual's actions can separate him from God's grace. And here's a couple of examples of that. Where in Galatians 5, and Bill will be getting to that in a few weeks, where Paul very boldly says to the saints in that region, you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. And so here are people who have been brought into grace, who have been recipients of grace in a certain measure, and now they're being warned that you can now lose that. You can fall from that grace that God has been stowing upon you. Another text, Hebrews 12, which we you know, have looked at not too many weeks back, where there in the 12th chapter, verse 15, you have this admonition, you have this warning that says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. You can come short of God's grace. And he says to Christians, to disciples, okay, you need to make sure you don't come short of God's grace. And the verse goes on to say that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. So, here's the main point in the lesson. And that is, are Christians to be in, in a constant state of fear and in a constant state of doubt about their salvation? Are we to be constantly in fear and doubt about the assurance of our salvation? And I believe Romans brings out a very interesting concept when it talks about how we are called to stand in grace. So let's begin reading there in the third chapter, Romans 3, where it talks about the atoning work of Jesus. And that atoning work is all part of God's grace being offered to humanity, to all sinners, and that's everybody. And he says there in the 21st verse, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And let's drop, you know, let's kind of jump over there to chapter five and just read verse one and two. 
Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. The justified by faith are being called, I mean, reminded to stand in grace. Let's just very briefly talk about, you know, just kind of consider this idea of standing. Yeah, we have a pretty good concept of what that means. When you're standing, and even conceptually, not just in a physical way, you're, you're standing up after sit, sitting down, but even concept, conceptually and, and figuratively, the idea of what does it mean to stand somewhere or to stand for something? It carries, it carries the idea of firmly placing yourself somewhere or steadfastly planting yourself in something. You're going to stand in this. You're going to stand on this. And the justified by faith, the Christian, the one who is called upon the name of the Lord in, in an obedient faith, you know, the justified by faith are called to say, you, that you've entered grace, so now stand in it. You're standing in grace. And so here is the idea of firmly placing yourself steadfastly planning yourself. The idea of, this idea of standing is used in relation to the gospel. If you flip over very quickly to 1 Corinthians 15, a chapter that's going to go you know, in great length to discuss of the power and the significance of the resurrection of Christ to you and how it is an anchor to your hope. You look in verse 1 and 2, he says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. The gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand. And so he's talking to the, to the Christians in Corinth, and he says, you know, yeah, I preached to the gospel, you received that gospel, and that's what you're standing in. You're standing in the gospel, but which he also, he goes on to say, by which also you are saved. You were not, you know, yes, it takes faith, it takes grace, it takes the gospel. There's a number of things. It takes Christ. There's a number of things that are all intricately connected to our salvation. But here the saints are told, you are standing in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and particularly as it relates to the resurrection and how that resurrection is your hope of your own resurrection one day. So it carries with this idea of solidly relying strongly adhering, earnestly content, continuing. The lesson today is in grace. You need to solidly rely on grace. You need to strongly adhere to God's grace. You need to earnestly continue in Christ's grace. But let us understand this. Divine grace is not liberty with no restraints and no demands of you. That's not God's grace. That's not God's grace. Divine grace is not liberty with no restraints and no demands on your life and in your life. 
And Romans brings some of those major points out. For example, we'll briefly touch on, on these. Grace, for, first of all, does not exempt a sinner from the necessity of faith to be saved. Are we saved by grace alone? No, just as we're not saved by faith alone. It takes both, working together. And so grace does not exempt a sinner from having to believe in Jesus and believe in God and believe in the gospel. And so Romans 1 begins as Paul makes this very bold statement in verse 16 when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why is that? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. The gospel is not the power of men. The gospel is the power of God, and it is God's power for salvation to everyone. And that's where it stops, right? No, that's not where it stops at all, is it? It is the you know, here's the gospel. It is God's power, and it can save everyone who does what? Who believes. Who believes, and that's whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. And Bill's going to address that issue in depth in the letter to the Galatians. And so grace is powerful, and you, you and I are not saved without it. And we need to be standing in grace, but that does not mean I don't have to believe and exercise that faith. Also, grace does not excuse a believer from the call to obey the gospel, Faith must act in accord and in adherence to the teaching of Jesus. Romans 6 brings that out there in verse 16 when it talks about the idea of the change in our life. He says, don't you know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you're slaves for the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in right. Which one are we to be? Well, we're supposed to be the one that obeys unto righteousness. That's their call in Christ. And Paul comes back to the, the over, this overriding thought of the, uh, the importance of obedience to salvation in the very last chapter as he's signing off this, this letter to the saints in Rome. He says, concerning the mystery of, uh, of Christ is now manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to uh, God's commandment, he says, has been made known to all nations. This mystery is now gone to the world, leading to obedience of faith. And so grace does not excuse a believer from the call to obey the gospel. Jesus himself said, if you love me, what are you going to do? If you really love me, he says, you're going to keep my commandments. It's that simple. But also grace did not grant unlimited license to sin without consequences. That's not the grace that we're to stand in. That's a perverted grace. That's a corrupted grace to suggest grace just gives us this license to sin. And Paul addresses that very plainly in the sixth chapter of Romans when he asked you know, the question there in the sixth chapter, at the very beginning of this argument, this defense, and he says, are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And he says, may it never be. That's not what the gospel's about. That's not the message of the gospel of grace. 
that to continue in sin, just so, oh, you know, grace is going to automatically just cover everything, no matter what I do and what I say. No, that's not all the kind of grace we're to stand in. You see later on, he talks about there in the same chapter, he says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your you know, mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go you know, on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. No. Grace did not exempt us from the necessity of faith to be saved. It does not exempt us you know, an excuse you know, for not obeying Jesus. And it does not grant us this liberty of unlimited license you know, to sin any way how much I want to. That's not what divine grace is about. But we are called in Romans 5 to recognize that we now, who are justified by faith, you know, we now stand in grace. Divine grace sufficiently aids Christians. It, it is the help that we need to live daily for God with the hope, with the confident expectation of salvation. Hope is not just a wish yeah, that you doubt that you're really going to get. Hope is to confidently expect something because of who God is and what God has said to you. And divine grace is there so that we can live every day with that kind of confident expectation, that assurance of salvation, so that we're not living every day in fear and doubt of whether or not we're going to heaven or not. Should we be arrogant and boastful? No. You know, should we be you know, negligent and careless? No. But should we have confidence and boldness? Yes. God assures us that he can and he will help in times of weakness. And to illustrate that very quickly, I just mentioned that in 2 Corinthians 12 is the occasion where Paul tells us about how he has been dealing with some physical affliction that he did not like and he's been asking God to take it away. And God didn't take away that physical affliction. But God reminded him, my grace is sufficient. And so what happened is God's grace empowered Paul to be able to deal with what he was dealing with, to be able to handle what was given him. Grace empowered him to be able to do that. Or over in James chapter 1, he says, do you lack wisdom? Are you lacking in wisdom? What are you told to do in James 1? We're going to get into that as well this quarter. He says, ask your father about it. Ask your father, there in James 1, 5 and 6, ask your father because your father is generous with his gifts. Now, he says, ask without doubting, ask in faith, but ask. Ask with a confidence that God hears you and God will bless you with that gift. God is our redeemer. And as our Redeemer, God is compassionate. 
and God is long-suffering, and God is just. Jonathan, I think, did a good job reminding us through our study in Jeremiah of the character of God that is seen throughout that book, even though it's, it's a book of great warning and judgment. But through all of that, God still remained to be a compassionate, long-suffering, forbearing, and just God of Israel. God does not want you and me, all of us who are his adopted children, God is, does not want us to fail. Have you thought about that? Do we sometimes mess up? Yes. Do we sometimes come short of the grace of God? Yes. But God does not want you to fail. He doesn't want you to not make it. And that's why we need to remember that Jesus Christ is an ever-ready mediator and high priest to answer our needs when we need him. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, and talk, John the apostle says, I'm writing so, you, so that you, you may not sin. That's the ideal. That's the objective. You know, does God want you to sin? No. Does, you know, uh, uh, does God, is God encourage you to sin? No. What's his goal? He, he wants you not to sin. He doesn't want you to transgress against him against his will and against his character. That's not what he wants. And so John says, I'm writing to Christians, I'm writing to you saints, so that you will not go down that dark road of sin. But he said, but if you do, he says, you have an advocate. You personally have an advocate. He says, is Jesus Christ the righteous? That's who you have. When you put on Christ through faith and baptism and you're raised up from the immersion of water to begin your life and walk your new life for Christ now to the best of your ability, from that moment on, you, know, you are Christ's disciple. You are God's daughter and God's son. And he says, you have a 24-7 advocate. He's ever interceding for you. And he is faithful. He is merciful. In Hebrews chapter 2, you go back to that particular book, you look there in the last two verses of the chapter, and you have these familiar words that need to be very dear and close to our hearts as Christians they have to live in a world that's dark and corrupt and we're to be separate from it and, and be different from it and yet it's hard to do that. But you have someone in your life now that you didn't have before you were a Christian. You have someone in your life who was made like you. Hebrews 2, 17. Speaking of Jesus Christ, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Do you need a high priest? Yes. Do I need a high priest? Yes. 
I need Jesus, and he's my high priest now. He's my advocate. He stands at my side. And then verse 18 is, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. When you are being tempted, he's ready every time. And he understands. He understands the reality of temptations. And like his father, he is not waiting to pounce on you. He's waiting to come to your aid. Hebrews 4 also comes to, you know, with similar encouragement. Last two verses of that chapter as well. So also the whole theme of the high priesthood of Christ. And he says, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize. No, we have one who can sympathize. Our advocate, our mediator, our high priest can and does sympathize with our weaknesses. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time and in need. You've been justified by faith and partaking of the peace of God. And that has given you entrance into God's grace and everything that that entails. And he says, that's where you stand now. So draw near, confident, draw near to that grace, to the throne of grace, so that you may receive mercy. Why would you need to see mercy? Because something in your life needs mercy. So you may, he says, so they may receive grace. Why is that? Because something in your life needs grace too, to help how? At your time of need. God knows us. And God knows all his children. And what does he know about all of us? is he knows that we all have ongoing needs, and they're not just physical. Those are the lesser needs of our lives. The greater ones are spiritual and eternal. And God knows that. And he's provided his son to be the propitiation and the atonement and the sacrifice and to be everything we need him to be, And now he is. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. We've called upon him. We've made allegiance to him. And so now he is your priest, my high priest, our high priest, our mediator. And we said, okay, so draw near to him in confidence so you get the mercy and you get the grace that you need when you need it. He knows that you and I are going to need mercy. We're going to need mercy along this path called life in Christ. And he also know, you know we're going to need grace again along the way. But we have to reach out to it. We have to take hold of it in all such moments. God is faithful. He's watching out for you. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
there as you kind of glance at that particular passage. And we are reminded here of examples at the beginning, first part of this chapter about, you know, God's people in the Old Testament and how God worked through them and how they fell short of that. Verse 11, he said, all of this happened to them. All the things that happened to the God's people in the Old Testament happened to them you know, as an example for us. To, and it's written for our instruction, verse 11. You know, and so it's there, verse 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. So there's a sense of caution here. And he says, no temptation has overtaken you, but as such is common to man. Who's he addressing here? He's addressing Christians. And he's saying to Christians, believers, servants of God and followers of Christ, he's addressing them and saying, there is no temptation that has taken, overtaken you, my son and daughter, that's not common to man. And he goes on to say, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure. Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. There will be temptations. There will. And temptations do overtake Christians from time to time. Stand in his grace. God knows you. And he knows what you're able to handle. And he says he will provide avenues of escape that you're going to have to take. You're going to take God's avenues of escape. But each, must, each person must do that for themselves. God's not going to do it for you. He says, I'm here for you. You're going to have to take the avenue that I'm providing for you. God, what does God's grace do? God's grace instructs us. God's grace warns us. God's grace exhorts us all to endure the struggle. Yes, learn from the past. Learn from your mistakes. But choose the right course of action moving forward. Enduring hardships, enduring temptations is not easy. It's not always joyful either, but painful. But one of the gifts of God's grace, one of the gifts of grace is knowing you can. You can endure and overcome because of who your father is, because of who your savior is, and because of who your comforter is. You can it doesn't excuse our sin. It doesn't give us license to stay in sin. But we have an avenue by which we understand that God is faithful in his dealings with us. And he is, he is watching out for us. The assurance of fellowship with God is through this aspect of accessing God's forgiveness. In 1 John, the epistle of 1 John Beginning our reading there in verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. The Holy Spirit has the apostle pen these words, this instruction, this exhortation 
to us. He says, this is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. None at all. Not a bit. Not a smidgen of it. He is light in his pure sense. But then he goes on to say in verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Our assurance of fellowship with God, with our creator, with our father, with our savior, with our comforter, this assurance of fellowship is through accessing God's forgiveness. He's a loving father. He's a forgiving father. It's on his terms, not on ours. It's on his terms. But he's a loving father who offers us mercy and grace through his son, Jesus Christ. So we have to trust him, don't we? We have to trust God. We have to trust his word. We have to trust his promises. Our father never, never approves of sin. Our father never, never condones sin. That's not what this text is teaching at all. He doesn't approve it. He doesn't condone it. And he is one who see, he can see right through hypocrisy. He can see through hypocrisy, knowing if one of his children, he knows if one of his children is truly seeking to practice truth or not. Yeah. He knows if it's genuine. He knows if it's real. So we're not, you know, we can't hide from God. And so he doesn't approve sin. He doesn't condone it. He doesn't excuse it. And what we see in this admonition, in this instruction of the apostle John, actually it's Christ's instruction through his servant John. What we see here is that in Christ, seekers of light and truth are not perfectly sinless disciples. None of us are. In Christ, seekers of light and seekers of truth are not perfectly sinless disciples. Why is that? Well, one, James 1 tells us is because of our because of it's because of us. <laughs> it's because of us. That's why. It's not because of God. God didn't make, make me a sinner. But because of myself and yourself, from time to time we struggle with sin, with temptations. And so in James 1, you know, the Spirit speaks through his servant, and he says, you know, to us, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. 
God does not tempt us to do evil. Because God, God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. It's because of that. We wrestle with the desires of the flesh and the desires of the heart and the mind, the pride of life. We, we wrestle with those things, even when we have put on Christ in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are now his disciples, and we are God's now adopted children. We still are in this flesh. And, even, and so Christians wrestle from time to time with different things in their life. Or Hebrews chapter 12 talks about how sin so easily entangles us. Yeah. We get ensnared, or we allow ourselves to get ensnared. But what we have here in 1 John is the fact that grace assures, God's grace assures the penitent faithful, the humbly penitent faithful child of God. They're assured that they are forgiven and cleansed when they turn to the throne of grace with the confession of their sins. He says, don't deceive yourself about yourself. But when you have sin in your life, take it to your father. Take it to your father. Be honest, be sincere, be genuine, but take it to him. He's faithful. He's righteous. And we are promised here in this particular text, there in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does he condone our sin? No. Does he automatically excuse it? No. But he's rooting for you. He's rooting for you. We can be deceived. Any one of us can. We can, we can deceive ourselves. That's why it's so important that we be honest with ourselves and honest with our Father. Honest about acknowledging whatever our sins may be or whatever temptations we're wrestling. We need to be honest about that. And we need to confess that. We need to talk to our Father. And we need to address Him through our Lord and Savior Jesus, who is the advocate and the high priest and mediator for you. We need to be honest and confess our struggles, confess our failings to him in regard to the sin that sometimes mar our character again. James 5 speaks of that again as well. When talking about how through humble, fervent prayer in accord with righteousness, you know, there is healing. Confess your sins, it says, and pray for healing. Standing in grace, standing in grace is not overlooking sin. That's not what it is. Standing in grace is not ignoring sin or ignoring what you wrestle with. That's not what standing in grace is about. But standing in grace is 
faithfully addressing whatever our weaknesses are, addressing whatever our temptations are, and addressing and dealing whatever sins we have in our lives. That's what, that's what it means to stand in grace. We are, we are justified by faith through grace, or justified by grace through faith. And, you know, and so we understand that, you know, yes, just because now we put on Christ, it doesn't mean that suddenly everything is easy. And the flesh is not still tempted. Daily, daily, we must solidly rely and earnestly adhere to God's grace, which is transforming us day by day by day as we humbly submit to his will. It is God's grace that's transforming us unto his holiness. What a beautiful gift. What a beautiful gift we have as God's children. A grace that is available 24 7 24/7 it's there not for us to deceive ourselves not for us just to cover up the sin that we're wrestling with but address it and to, and to fight it and overcome it through God's faith you now God's grace in our faith. It is that same grace that's calling all sinners to turn away from sin and to be conformed to Christ, to put on Christ in obedience to the gospel of Jesus so that you may be able to live a life in a godly way. What is your need today? God loves you. And God desires your salvation. God desires a, re a relationship with you, a holy relationship through his son. If you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to become one. Because you cannot be saved without Christ, without calling upon his name in obedience to his gospel, to his good news, of how to remit the sin that separates you from your God. We encourage you to do that today. To call upon in faith, repenting of your sin, confessing that faith with your mouth before others and being buried with him in baptism. What a precious gift that is that God says, do this and I'll wash away every sin. But it's such a big decision, isn't it? And that's what holds us back. Such a simple thing. But such a big decision. Because the devil gets a hold of us. And he holds tight. And he won't let go. You've got to break that yourself. With faith in Jesus, break the hold that the devil has on you. If you're a Christian... And if, you're, if your, life's, your life's not right, maybe there's something in your life that you need to correct, you need to make amends, 
If we can help you in doing that, we invite you as well. Whatever your spiritual need may be, we encourage you, please come forward. Make your wishes known. Always stand to sing the song as we selected. <laughs>